0: Socrates said, It really has been shown to us that if we are ever to have pure knowledge, we must escape from the body and observe things in themselves, with the soul by itself. It seems likely that we shall only then, when we are dead, attain that which we desire, and of which we claim to be lovers, namely, wisdom. Welcome to the Soul Podcast, I'm Stacy Wheeler. Socrates was onto something. When we rely on our intellect alone it seems to lead us sometimes to reject what is obvious when we can't prove something intellectually it gets put on a shelf and we gaze at it with skepticism and there it sits until we can prove it it seems to be part of the human condition in season one we looked at the history of the soul and we saw back as far as we can into the human journey we saw that people have known for at least 70,000 years that we are more than just the body. The evidence is there and has been piling up since the start of recorded time, probably longer. Long before religions were formed, abandoned, and more religions were created, people have known that something about us survives the death of the body. There's been an acceptance of the existence of the soul since before saber-toothed tigers and mastodons went extinct. But should people of today believe in the soul, or should we see the belief as superstition. Did that belief grow from the fear all humans have in the uncertainty of what happens after death? Or because we once didn't understand the scientific explanation for the death of the body, why, when the body dies, that person that was once there is now gone? I believe we've always had a deep knowing that we are more than the body. The evidence we looked at in season one shows the great lengths people have gone to to try to connect to the deepest part of themselves, and the abuses many have suffered to try to make their soul reunion. I believe that a belief in the soul matters. Knowing we are more than just this body adds a greater depth and meaning to our existence. A belief in the soul makes us feel more connected to others, which has the ripple effect of making us more kind, more empathetic. We become less fearful of death when we move through the world knowing we are a soul. Socrates spoke about this when he said, Those who practice philosophy in the right way are in training for dying, and they fear death least of all men. And losing this fear of death allows us to live life more completely. We're less weighed down with unnecessary fear. And all these, these are just some of the more tangible benefits we gain with the belief in the soul. There's so much more in the way it helps us relate to humanity, to the way love lives in us, and in the way it changes how we move through the world. In the long gap between Season 1 and Season 2, I've been busy researching. I've been interviewing people, reading a lot, and writing. It's taken a long time to put Season 2 together, but I wanted to make sure I got it right. See, there's an idea out there that to succeed in podcasting, you need to constantly produce new material. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But in this show, my intention is quality over quantity. It takes much longer to make a souffle than a Pop-Tart. I hope you agree that Season 2 was worth the wait. In Season 1, we laid the groundwork. We saw the history that shows that the soul is undeniably a universally held belief. All cultures and languages have a word that means soul, and we've been writing about it since we first developed a way to do that. This season, we're going to dive into some pretty big topics to look at as evidence. Things like near-death experience, and how this research into near-death experience has gone mainstream in the last 40 years. We'll also look at the common occurrence known as terminal lucidity, which is a sudden and unexpected awakening just before death. How does a person in a vegetative state or in a body that's had a stroke suddenly reawaken for a short time and speak and act normally just before dying? We'll look at the newest research and cases established around reincarnation as well and all the very well-respected research going on around that now. We'll also check out the history of accurately predicting one's own death, We'll even look at a few cases of famous figures who predicted their own deaths. And we'll ask the question, what does this say about the soul when a person can leave the body at will? And we'll go a little deeper when we look at one of the laws of science, which from my perspective supports the idea that the soul is real. And you know, the history we covered in Season 1, it's also evidence. A belief in the soul seems to have been a universally held belief for tens of thousands of years before the modern age. If you listened to season one, you probably already get what I mean, but let me cover it here for a second before we continue. Consider the idea of love. Every language on this big beautiful planet has a word for it. It's universal. But what is it? Can we capture it? Can we offer a scientific diagram of what it is? Some say we can explain it through chemicals made in the body. That's all love is. You know, there's some good evidence that this is true. But can we explain all the nuances of love using this chemical explanation? Love cannot be captured or fully explained. But do we question if love is real? No, of course not. We simply know it. Knowing is enough. The soul is also universally understood. But the idea of the soul is still recovering from a PR setback. The Catholic Church hijacked the idea more than a thousand years ago. They laid claim to it and told the world that they were the gatekeepers to this deepest part of ourselves. Then they used the word as a weapon and killed people who questioned the church. That left echoes of hundreds of years of abuse. Today, we'd call it generational trauma. As we came out of the Dark Ages and into the Renaissance period, The word soul started to evolve we started using words like consciousness to mean the same thing as scientific minds kept colliding with the idea while researching seemingly unrelated topics the word soul at least for westerners became a loaded word something beautiful that had been used as a weapon against us so the word evolved and morphed but the soul remains universal no matter what we call it in season two we'll look at evidence some of this is modern and some stretches back through time, back hundreds of years in some cases, in writings that have been forgotten. We'll also look at evidence that spirituality is on the rise. And if you don't understand what spirituality is, or if you're like I once was and cringe at the word spirituality, don't worry, we'll bridge the gap in season two. So let's start here, for clarity. Let's pause for a second and look at the difference between proof and evidence. In season two, what we're looking at is evidence. Proof is something that shows us with near certainty that something is true, and scientific proof is the hallmark of what is truth. For instance, let's consider water. Water is a compound made of two elements. The chemical compound H2O is a shortcut to say water is made from two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. It is a scientific fact, and we can prove what water is, science hard proof. There is a subtle space just short of proof that we call hard evidence. Evidence demonstrates that something is probably true even though we may not be able to prove it. Maybe our eyes tell us to believe it or maybe we have a deep knowing that it's true, even without science backing it up. Love, as we talked about earlier, is a good example of accepting something that's not fully understood. We accept what we feel to be true, even if we are short of proof. Probability is where ideas live until we figure out how to prove them and call them science. There's a lot of probability out there, and you know, we accept a lot of things in our world without proof of how they work. For many people, call them skeptics, it's easy to doubt the unprovable. A skeptic might tell you they refuse to accept anything that isn't provable, but I'll show you that's not true. This same skeptic will accept at least one thing all day long which is unprovable gravity. It's clear that gravity is undeniable. I've never heard anyone argue that gravity isn't real, have you? But did you know, we can't scientifically explain what makes gravity happen. Yeah, there's a lot of theories, but no accepted scientific explanation. There is, however, a lot of evidence. When Sir Isaac Newton wrote about the apple falling from the tree, he was talking about evidence. And we've written scientific laws around gravity but we have no scientific explanation for what causes it. No proof, just evidence. We all accept it, and it may be hard to believe, but the cause of gravity continues to remain one of the great mysteries of science, even to this day. There is still no accepted scientific explanation for this ghostly force we call gravity. Yes, it's undeniable. We've named it and accepted it. We all seem to agree it's real, but we are basing this belief on evidence alone. Evidence matters we accept what we know to be true even if we can't prove why and it's possible that there are very true things that we will never be able to explain with our meager minds there's a limiting factor in our ability to prove things as well that is our intelligence you see all of our explorations begin with the assumption that we are the greatest intelligence if it can't be proven by our greatest minds then we deem it unprovable or false But consider the fact that there are many types of intelligence. Nature has the intelligence to create a flower and the scent that comes from it, which creates a symbiotic relationship between bees and birds and the plants they pollinate. This relationship assures the continuation of both species. That's pretty intelligent. Nature creates amazing things, both in detail and in scale. Did you know the largest organism on Earth is natural? In the Blue Mountains of Eastern Oregon, USA, there's a honey mushroom, which has a root and structure that covers 2,384 acres or 965 hectares. Put another way, this humongous fungus would encompass nearly four square miles or 10 square kilometers. It's massive. Nature's pretty incredible. And nature seems to create without thinking. And of course, it seems that way. We can't understand the consciousness of nature, so we assume nature is reflexive and has no consciousness. But consider if there were a person who could create the same things that nature could create. All the flowers, all the little details, a tree, a butterfly. Imagine if there were a person who could do that. We would call that person an artist. We would call them genius. We might even choose the word God. Nature does incredible things. Meanwhile, humans try to create scents and flavors which mimic those in nature, though we can't quite seem to get the same result. Nature does things we're not capable of. Nature's intelligence is unique from ours, but it's undoubtedly intelligence. So we can easily see there are many types of intelligence. To assume something isn't real because we can't prove it with our minds is an arrogant way to approach the world. Learning to find balance between our minds and our senses may, in fact, be the best way to make new discoveries. Gravity is a very good example. Our senses say, believe this and trust it, and our scientific minds try to figure out this magic trick nature is showing us, and finally we just accept it because it's undeniable. There's that balance right there, right there between our minds and our senses. That's where it happens. And maybe learning to lean on our senses makes more sense than we know. There's a lot we can't explain with our intelligence. And it's not just things like gravity that we can't explain, but still accept. Science also can't explain why cats purr. But do we argue that they don't purr? Do we doubt it? We also don't understand why it takes more genes to create a tomato than genes to create a person. Weird, right? It doesn't make sense to me that a tomato is in some ways more complex than a person. And we also don't understand why we yawn. We don't know why. But have you ever heard anyone argue that yawns aren't real? We accept the things that we understand. So there's plenty that we accept using truth only as evidence. So why do so many people push back on the idea of the soul? I've got my theories and we'll look at them in Season 2. In the second season, the evidence we get into, when taken as a group, is convincing. If you have doubts about the existence of the soul, I'm glad you're here. The evidence may move your opinion closer to belief, but either way, I guarantee you're going to learn something new. And I get it. The soul seems fanciful to some people. Perhaps you believe the only way we can survive the death of the body would be through a miracle. And you reject the idea of miracles. But as you listen to the evidence, keep in mind what Albert Einstein said. There are only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. There are many unexplainable things in this life, far more than the things that we can't explain. What if all this is a miracle? What if we are all miracles? I appreciate that you're listening to The Soul Podcast. It's evidence that you have a curious mind and proof that people are interested in this thing we call the soul. Welcome to Season 2. If you've enjoyed The Soul Podcast or learned something new, please follow the show and share it with friends. This is the best way for people to find the show. If you heard any quotes you liked in this episode, you'll find them in the show notes. You can also find links to supporting information as well as a list of any books or other reading material related to this episode.